Hey, everybody. Scott Fontana here alongside Dan Urban. What's up, everybody? We're the Couchside Judges, back again to break down judging in the world of mixed martial arts. We've got two closely scored title fights from Saturday's UFC 248 to discuss. One, an all-time great. The other, a bit of a letdown. Plus, we'll have some thoughts on the experimental use of open scoring at Friday's Invicta FC event in Kansas. We'll break down the judging in those championship bouts, as well as address some scores from the rest of the event that stuck out for one reason or another. Later, we'll go further back and apply our own couchside judges scoring system to a 2017 fight featuring Damian Maia, who's co-headlining this weekend's UFC event in Brasilia, Brazil. But first, let's talk this past Saturday's action. I thought UFC 248 in Vegas was an excellent event up until the more labored headliner between Israel Adesanya and Yoel Romero. We'll get to that later, so let's start this week's edition of Contested Rounds by breaking down the best women's fight I've ever seen. We had Zhang Weili get the split decision nod in her first strawweight title defense against Joanna Jonjacek. Hell of a fight, and not the easiest one to score because of how close so many of the rounds were. How'd you end up scoring it, Dan? It was such a great fight, and it stinks someone had to lose, but I scored it for the champion, Zhang. 48-47. Same here. She landed some major shots. Joanna had an alien growing out of her forehead. <laughs> That's cruel. But this shouldn't affect her stock at all, and I think we're probably going to see an immediate rematch. You know, I I hope we get a rematch at some point, whether it's immediate or not. I, I even tweeted out during fourth round or end of the fourth round, I really just want them to run it back for funsies because it was just so cool. I loved, I loved being in that moment. And obviously the second time they do it, it can't repeat the magic, but I think these two, their style just mixes so well that you'd still get fireworks. They both really wanted it. Yeah, yeah, but let's let's jump right into the scoring of the rounds. I mean, again, every round here was reasonably close for one reason or another. The judges actually only agreed consensus on one of the rounds, and it wasn't round one. Dan, tell me about round one. Tell, tell me tell me what happened. What do we also, got? Also, no judge matched my scorecard at all. Is that right? It, okay, yeah, none. same here. Was a tough fight to score. Yeah. Round one, uh, Joanna comes out, and she's getting started much faster than Zhang is. Yes. Oh, yeah. She she always puts on a good pace. So I felt the turning port was when Zhang got hit with a few shots and felt, hey, I don't need to be worried about this. I'm going to get in there. And she started hitting her with some heavy shots. She did. And her shots were much more impactful. You could just tell when, when she landed hard, uh, especially when she was kind of targeting the head, which, you know, she was landing kicks, but she was targeting the head a lot more. And you could tell Joanna was like, ooh, I didn't like that. Yeah, you could tell. She... Mm-hmm. Zhang was landing the way way more heavier shots. I thought round one was probably one of the easier rounds of this fight to score. Yeah, I agree, actually. I, I really do. And the numbers were close if you just look at the raw numbers of strikes. But I, I don't see a reason why you'd give it to Joanna there just because of the clear impact that was made by Zhang's strikes. For sure. Zhang was throwing bombs. Yeah, so we both had it round one for Zhang. What about, what about round two, Dan? Round two, I thought uh, Zhang ate some good shots early in the round. But then midway, she started finding a home for her own shots. Yeah, it was kind of a similar round almost to round one in my in my eyes, at least. Yeah, it was similar. I mean, I could see an argument for Joanna, especially ending the round the way she did with the head kick. I I disagree. I, I don't see a whole lot of argument for her. I mean, it's it's close. It's certainly close, but I, d- I really wouldn't have gone that way, no. Right. I don't think it, it negated uh, what Zhang did in the round. Yeah. But it was, it was a good statement way to end the round yeah it was that was a Zhang round for me so I've got her up 2-0 at this point uh, same for me yeah yeah so so round three though this was the round where you definitely saw Joanna start to put it together as she was starting to get this this massive knot on the top of her forehead too it, was, it almost coincided Zhang actually slowed it down in this round 
that this was a clear round for Joanna. Uh, I did too. All three judges did as well. I think what happened for Zhang was that she, her nose got busted up a little bit, and that I don't know if it surprised her. I'm sure she's she's been popped in the nose before, but you could tell that her breathing was having to go through her mouth at this point started to slow down a little bit and she just wasn't landing with the same force and impact that she was in the previous round so this was for me a very easy Joanna round right I agree easy for Joanna but I did think Zhang started landing some good counters towards the end of the round I kind of felt like round three she was uh, regrouping getting herself ready for the championship rounds uh, that's possible, yeah. I, I mean, I would agree with you that she was starting to find her footing later in this round. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if she was pacing herself or what. It was it was an amazing pace, so you can understand why somebody would need to kind of slow it down a little bit. Not She didn't take a round off. I wouldn't say that when, you, when you're throwing as many strikes as she is. No, but I'm not saying that. I'm, no, I wouldn't. I'm, I don't take it that way, and nobody should. But, yeah, this... That was an interesting round, and it was it was nice because you started to really see Joanna get back into the fight in a in a clear way. Some people may have given her one of the first or second rounds. She got one of the rounds on a judge's card each time. But at this point, before this round, Joanna is losing to Zhang. So to see that, now we've got a fight here. This was nice. What about round four? Championship rounds begin. Round four, probably the toughest round of the fight to score. Yeah. If the ABC wasn't so hell-bent on not giving 10-10s, <laughs> this would be a 10-10 in my eyes. It it was darn close. I'll give you that. I did think that Joanna did enough, and it was really close. I watched this fight twice, and live watching it, I really thought Joanna kind of just had this. It wasn't that close. It was close, but not that close. But on second watch, I was like, oh, geez, did did Zhang really get this one? Because she was landing with some better force than she had in the previous round. But I, I did still side with Joanna here. So I ended up giving it to Joanna 10-9. Because we're encouraged to pick a winner. <laughs> yes, it's it is true. You you have to go to you know effective aggressiveness and area control if the striking numbers are tied to. But I did think that Joanna did enough with her effective striking alone. So yeah, at this point, both of us have it now. Thirty-eight, thirty-eight tie fight. Right, we're even going into the final round. In the final round, who do you have? Another close round, but I gave it to Zhang. Yes. I felt uh, she smashed Joanna's nose really nicely. Yeah, the furious pace, though, this fight, especially in this round, really stunned me because they were landing more strikes than they had in any previous round. It's round five of a title fight, of a grueling title fight, and a furious pace title fight. I couldn't believe it. It was just beautiful to watch uh, the beautiful violence we were treated to. I like that John was landing more impactful with her punches, and for me... I'm happy with the way it turned out that she got the win because I just thought she had a better fight overall. Right, and you can tell how impactful her shots was. One of those punches she lands, immediately Joanna tries to clinch. Yes, yeah, and she wanted no part of that power. She she wasn't rocked, I don't think, at any real point. There were, there were times she was, she was stung. I would say she was stung throughout this fight, but never really rocked to the point of being in trouble. But she didn't want any part of that. And credit to her. She's got the kicking game that can really keep someone like Zhang at bay. Even as she's eating kicks. Zhang landed a bunch of kicks all fight long. Yeah, so I thought Zhang's uh, power outweighed Joanna's volume. It has to because when you look at the scoring criteria, you weigh immediate impact as opposed to cumulative. That's what the ABC criteria calls for. So when it comes to that, push comes to shove, you do typically have to give the impact there. Well, they, they actually do score cumulative. It's, they, just, oh, they it's just weighted after. Yes. Immediate. Yes, that's true. It's not that they don't weigh it, but it, it, it it's something that 
if you land that stinging right hand, it's more impactful than three or four leg kicks. It's It comes second. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll be touching on that in, in the main event. Yes, we will. And all three judges for this one, 48-47, split decision. Mike Bell and Derek Cleary ended up giving Zhang the decision, just as you and I did. Eric Cologne gave the fight to Joanna, but actually... Cologne's scorecard was the one that close, most closely matched mine, except for round five, because he gave each of the first two rounds to Zhang, like you and I did, and then the next two rounds to Joanna. But then he saw the th- uh, the fifth and final round for Joanna. This was a real tough fight to call. Real tough. I, I credit the judges because they got the right winner. And even when you look at both of these women after the fight, you know who won the fight. Oh yeah, for it, sure. It was it was Zhang. She just she didn't look like she was in the same type of brutal slugfest that Joanna clearly had been put through. Only one score on the judges' scorecard where I thought was a bad score was Derek Cleary's round one. I thought round one was pretty easy, clearly for Zhang. Yeah, yeah, I would agree that that one doesn't make as much sense to me. But even at that, these are all close rounds. It was is this was a challenging round for judges to score, and it was mostly striking. A lot of these judges come from boxing background, kickboxing, that kind of thing. So. When you talk about a challenging fight for them to score, they're drawing on more than their MMA experience with something like this, and it's I, I still have to sympathize with them. Tough round to score, tough fight to score, but they got the right winner, and that's that's what counts. For sure. Now, before we move on to the next fight, I do just want to add that as far as all-time impact, this fight was easily a top 10, maybe even a top 5. I would have to look look back and make a list, but men or women, doesn't matter. This fight was an all-time classic. Just the the drama, the back and forth, the fact that this was for a title with two absolutely amazing athletes. It was it was wonderful. I loved it. Really good fight. And they even talked about maybe this is going to get inducted into the Hall of Fame also. Yeah, Dana's already jumping on that bandwagon. And you know what? Give it some time. But yes, absolutely. One day, that's where it belongs. You know what doesn't belong in the uh, in the UFC Hall of Fame as, as a fight? Israel Adesanya against Yoel Romero. Oh, no, it doesn't. This was such a letdown of a main event to come right after an all-timer, it was it was just such a bummer. A tough act to follow, but still, the hype for this fight didn't live up to it at all. No, no. And I will say, before we even jump into it, on rewatch, I appreciated the final four rounds of this fight as more of a tactical battle than some sort of boring affair. Uh, but the first round was just so brutal. Uh, God, it was just staring and dancing. But let's talk about the two rounds of this fight. I don't want to talk about the whole thing. Let's talk about the two rounds of this fight that were actually disputable. Round two, I thought this was pretty clear that Romero won, right? For sure. This is a 100% Romero round. I mean, shame on Chris Lee. He had a bad night, but this was not a round for him to make such a, a blunder. Yeah, now Chris Lee, the veteran judge who's really, he's one of the standard bearers uh, in terms of mixed martial arts judging. And this was this was a sign of things to no, things that had already come. He had a bad night. I, everybody has a bad night, but I really didn't see how he could give Adesanya round two here. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Adesanya clearly wasn't in this fight at this point, still baffled by the defensive strategy that Romero was going with. Not that we couldn't foresee this coming. This is how he's fought in the past. And then with Romero having the most offense he's had in the entire fight in this round. Yeah. He had a huge flurry, which backs him against the cage. It's the most impactful thing to happen in the entire fight. We're talking about, again, immediate impact here. He had immediate impact with his strikes. That comes before any volume that Adesanya is throwing out there. And it really wasn't a great amount of volume. I, I don't really see how you do it. It doesn't make sense. But Sal Diamato and Ron McCarthy each gave the round to the rightful winner of this round, which was Romero. So at this point, 
Romero was really supposed to be up 2-0 on the cards. As we all saw, Adesanya finally started to figure things out. Round three, round four, he's chipping away with some leg kicks. Romero's doing not much of anything in response because he's waiting for Adesanya to get a little too close, and that's not happening anymore. Round five, though, this is where it was clear Romero was saving the best for last. And he really started going for it a little more. He was coming forward. You saw him trying to push and try to get that that round back and, and take this fight. But Adesanya really wasn't feeling it that time. He was the one who was moving away, keeping back, keeping with, with, uh, with his kicks. But it wasn't really, it wasn't doing the same thing. You know, I favor head strikes over leg kicks. I, think, I think you have to, uh, depending. Mainly because a leg kick isn't going to end a fight. Um, untrue. I would disagree with that stringently, but in this case, no, they were not doing that. In the event of a check and the leg breaks, yes. Oh, no, or, I don't even mean that. Or over time. Sure. But not not a single leg strike is going to end a fight. And it didn't look like Romero, as much as he was eating leg kicks and that leg was starting to get a little raw, it didn't look remotely like he was close to fading. He wasn't limping. He wasn't doing any of that. I didn't see a scenario in which those strikes were as impactful as what Romero was trying to get done. No, Romero woke up on Sunday morning, he went to the gym and did squats. And he actually, Romero outlanded Adesanya in that fight as well. That's that's the thing. Excuse me, in that round. He outlanded Adesanya in that round. And he landed with bigger strikes. Bigger strikes. I have to say this. I think that one of the problems Romero had there was that he was doing way too much showboating at the end for not enough impact and not, not enough action. He wasn't trying to push it. If he just pushed through for those last 20 seconds instead of sticking his hand up in the air, sticking his tongue out, maybe he could have landed a few more strikes and made it so much easier for the judges not to screw this up. But nonetheless, they screwed it up. All three gave round five to Adesanya, and that just blows my mind. All three of them? Yeah, I don't like that. I don't see it at all. I gave it to Romero. Yeah, the, the fight is to Romero. You and I see it the same way. We're simpatico. He got round one, round two, and round five. Should have a new champ. We should, and it's it's a shame because there is no way Dana White is going to allow Yoel Romero to get another chance at a title, probably at any weight class. He's just he's just not going to do it. No, he's even mentioned that th- that this was his last title fight. Yeah. Now, how much can, more can you really expect out of a almost forty three year old man, someone who is in fact several months older than Tom Brady? Right. Adesanya really had a chance to cement his legacy as well. I'm disappointed because. We expect the judges to be better, especially these judges. These are good judges. Usually, when we're talking about crummy judging, we're talking about the things that we saw in February, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But Nevada, they they get it done, and they put the right judges here, but got the wrong result. This is a shame. Chris Lee in particular. I'm very disappointed. Yeah, he's usually really good. Yeah, but I'm done talking about that fight. I hope we never really have to talk about it again, unfortunately. Let's move on to another one of the close fights from the main card, from the pay-per-view uh, card here. Alex Oliveira and Max Griffin. Now, Oliveira did get the split decision victory, and I certainly agree with that. Dan, do you? I agree with that, yes. Yeah. The weird thing is the judges kind of flip-flopped some rounds here. Round one and round three, they arrived at the right result for the wrong reason, in my opinion. How did you see round one, Dan? Round one, I thought for sure, was a Griffin round. Yeah, same. It seemed easy. He he had the nice overhand there. Uh, He owned in the grappling. Just a clear 10-9 win there. He had the most effective strike, had a takedown, had ground and pound. That's a 10-9. Yeah, no, clear 10-9. Uh, Dave Hagan and, again, Chris Lee, they gave it all to Oliveira. It was a competitive round, but he didn't win that round. I, I don't think anyone watching saw that, really. So that was disappointing to see because, in actually, in round two, 
Oliveira takes the second round pretty clearly here. So at this point, Oliveira's in the driver's seat, but it really should be 1-1. Round three, though, all three judges gave it to Griffin, which we don't like. I don't know how. Yeah, I don't get it either. Griffin could barely see because of the blood that was coming out of his round two cut all over the place. He, he was squinting. Uh, I can't believe they didn't check on him at any point because of this. That's where you're really talking about danger with all the blood in his eyes. But Oliveira, he, he got Mount twice. He yeah. was landing some good shots. He takes him down almost straight to Mount. Yeah. Great ground and pound. You know, Max Griffin, he's able to get half guard at some point, but Oliveira just passes right back to Mount. Yeah. Lands some more bombs. Now, Oliveira, he makes a mistake and Griffin's able to reverse position, but really nothing came of it. That was a strange sequence. It was. He it was, was like, he kind of just toppled over. He did. And just, like, oh, well, yeah, now, now just, I'm on the bottom. It's almost like they were just too tired or maybe Oliveira was a little slippery with Griffin's blood. I don't know, but bad round score. All three to give this to Griffin, that's bad. Right. That's, that's really bad. And I don't see how he wins the round because he's on top and half guard, but he's not trying to pass and he's not really trying to strike either. Yeah, what are they looking for? I, what the heck is this? Do they just have a bad angle, all three of them? That that doesn't make any sense. This is a bad score. It was like, you know, the strikes that Griffin threw were like, hey, look at me, I'm staying busy. Don't stand me up. Now, again, we say this knowing that they did get the right result. But the problem is, and this is what we're here to look at, is you shouldn't get the right result for the very wrong reason. You have to hold the judges accountable. So it's not just like, eh, ends justify the means. That's not how it goes in mixed martial arts. You have to get this right. I mean, it's weird to say Sal Diamato got the best scorecard when he got the wrong fighter right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when he got the wrong fighter winning the fight. Mm-hmm. But he got the first two rounds correct, but, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Best of a bad bunch here. Uh, no judges saw this fight correctly. It was so weird. Ugh. Moving on. Giga Chikadze against Jamal Emers. This was on the early prelim, so I don't know how many people saw this, but actually it was a decent fight. We had a split decision, so round two was the swing. How'd you see it? I gave it to Chikadze. Yeah, same. Absolutely. Striking was more impactful. Emmer's got that takedown. It nothing... he got swept, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It got swept, and I, I think you grade those exactly the same. I mean, it's what's the difference there? Also, Chikadze uh, landed a big left. Yes. Which, which almost dropped him. That was that was the most impactful moment from that round for me. What bothered me, though, was that during the commentary, Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier, all they're talking about is how Emmers is doing so well in this round. And, and he was doing fine, but he was not winning this round. You understand why DC maybe would, would lean that way, because the man loves a good takedown. But it's not like Tony Weeks was listening to this when he picked Emmers to win that. Not right. good, Tony. Right, yeah. At least at least they have the excuse that they're all they have to call the fight as well. They do, yeah, yeah. Except let's let's different. be clear here. And they they have understood this and they have admitted this as much before. It's hard to score a fight while you're calling a fight. Credit though, at least to Eric Colon and Junichiro Kamiho. They got it right. They definitely saw the right winner in Chikadze. Good job, boys. For sure. Now the other fight, this one actually didn't go the distance. Gerald Mershart. He got it done in round three with a choke, uh, one in which looked like Deron Wynn kind of just gave up, right? Deron Wynn quit. He didn't, I mean, he didn't even put his hands on it. He's just like, okay, finish the technique, and I will tap. And that's a shame, too, because he actually had a really good first round win. I gave round one to him. Yeah, I, th I thought he, he landed the big shots. It seemed very easy. Uh, however, Tony Weeks once again drops the ball, gave it to Mershart. You know what? I can almost make an argument 
from Mearshart there. You know, he's a big dude. Those one-twos, even though they're looking nice and smooth, they're probably pretty heavy. I'm not doubting that, but you take one look at Mearshart's right eye, and it's getting touched up. Yeah. It wasn't bloody yet, but he was totally marked up. There was a target around there. How does the judge not see that? They're sitting right there. And I think when you're talking about the numbers, the numbers in this round were extremely close as well. Not that they see that, but it's not like there was an overwhelming amount of volume on one side. It was roughly even, and Wynn was definitely landing better. Credit to Lee, finally, and Ron McCarthy. They saw this correctly for Wynn. Um, not that it mattered, because Merchard, of course, got it done in round three. He actually had taken control in round two with some really excellent volume. So that's where you started to see him really take the toll to Durant win. Now, the one thing that kind of irks me, and you as well, is when we don't see 10-8 rounds given out for any reason. There were no 10-8 rounds in Las Vegas on Saturday night, but there were two rounds that I thought at least merited consideration. Round one, Benil Dariush against Drakkar Close. Definitely, round, definitely a 10-8. Yeah, same. And round two of Neil Magny versus Lee Jingliang. Yeah, another definite 10-8. Yeah, I don't know what you're looking for there. I don't know if they were discouraged to give out 10-8s. That's not the type of thing you usually see in Nevada, so it's just one of those things that I, I don't know what what they were doing. The way the criteria reads is a large margin win is a 10-8. Yeah, Dariush, I thought, had a large margin win based on the grappling. He had the back for three minutes. He was he was looking for chokes. He's fishing for it. It's not like he's he's sitting on the back just playing. And it's not like he didn't wasn't close on any of the chokes. There was, a, at towards the end of the round, there were some really tight chokes in there. Yes, there were. Like, those were close to being over. Oh, close, huh? Nice pun. <laughs> well done. I'm sure he's never heard that one before. But yeah, Neil Magny, though, going to him, he won his fight 30-27. It really should have been 30-26, so, you know, we're, we're kind of splitting hairs here, but Magny looked awesome, especially in that round. He deserved a 10-8. It deserved to be on the record that he got a 10-8. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And Dariush. He managed to get my favorite finish of the night, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, it was That was a really nice KO, but we'll get to that. That was fun. We'll get to that in just a minute. But what did the judges get right, Dan? What did the judges get right? Yeah. They got Mark O'Madson, or as he was referred to all night, Mark O'Madson as if he was Irish. They got 29-28 from all three judges. Yep, that was perfect. Yeah, finally. Props to Cologne, Hagen, and Ron McCarthy. You got it perfect. Good job. <laughs> I just, I have to, we have to talk about this a little quickly. Why the heck were DC and Rogan just calling him O'Madson? O is his middle initial. I think one, once one of them makes the mistake, the other one just jumps on. <laughs> I think they're a fun team. They are fun, but <laughs> it, it, it was hilarious. Just O'Madson all night. He's Danish. He's not Irish. <laughs> but O'Malley, who was in the fight after, that man has an Irish name. And, uh, and we'll talk about his finish in a bit. But first, I want to I want to ask you, before I even talk about any of my my favorite finishes of the night, and we had five out of 11 ended early, including three in the first round. What was your favorite finish? I don't think there's a surprise here. My favorite finish was Hidalfo Vieira. Arm, oh, yeah. Yeah, arm triangle choke in the first round. But for two reasons why it was my favorite. Okay. One, his technique is just awesome. The way he gets that squeeze, gets his left hip to the ground, steps over with the right foot, and just squeezes the life out of the guy. It's incredible. Can nice. anyone tell that Dan is a grappling enthusiast? Number two is if he doesn't finish that fight in that round, he loses that fight because his eye was that messed up from a kick earlier in the round. Oh, yeah, dude. I love the image of him as he's getting his hand raised. He's holding this towel over his giant cut 
on the other side of his face. It was it was just a perfect encapsulation of the violence of mixed martial arts. Absolutely. My I love that one too. I I also love a good grappling uh based fight or finish. Uh, you know, we Dan and I met we met during uh jujitsu actually. I'll tell you for my favorite finish, as I mentioned, Darius putting close out. He just rocked him with with the right hand as he was already rocked himself. Backs close up all the way to the other side of the cage and puts him down with a left. No follow up, just stands there, lets the ref take over. It was it was classy. It was great, and it was the fourth win in a row for Darius. I'm happy to see that because he's actually a really talented guy, and he goes for finishes too. I don't think people realize how finish minded he is. Yeah, that was a great great round mm-hmm. uh, round two. It was like Daly Diaz or Congo Barry. Yeah, and Sean O'Malley, though, too. I really liked his knockout of Jose Quinones. That was fantastic after two years off, and I was excited for that fight, too. So yeah. he, he definitely he definitely saw it through for me, so yeah. credit to you, Sugar Sean. Yeah, really impressive coming off that layoff. And that's it for the fights. Let's talk about the judges, how they did in a segment we like to call Less Ye Be Judged, where we grade the judges. This was a bad night for some of the best, most experienced judges in the world. We'll get to them in a moment. First, I would like to get to the top judges. Dan, who who did best on Saturday? The best judge of the night in my eyes was Eric Cologne. Yeah. We saw 12 of 14 rounds the same. Yeah, I would agree, but I do also think he had the most reasonable score for Joanna and Zhang. That's where he and I probably differed the most because I still it's a title fight and he gave the wrong winner in my eyes, but it was a close fight and I don't even mind Joanna getting that decision because it was so close. But yeah, I ended up giving him an A minus. What about you? I gave him a B. And you know what I actually really liked about him? He got Chikadze correct as the winner. That that I appreciate. If you can get a split decision right, you're you're kind of stepping into clutch mode and saving a fight from going the wrong way. So that's always nice. Did you like anybody else? I thought Ron McCarthy had, had a, a good night. I thought he did fine. For me, actually, though, I appreciated uh, Kamiho. He only had two fights, um, and one assignment ended in round one. But he was also one of those guys who got Chikadze correct, uh, giving him round two in the win. Neither he nor Cologne, uh, you know, as we know, gave Magni the 10-8, but uh, I still gave him a B+. That's good. Yeah, I think I gave him a B as well. What about your worst of the night? I actually have two. I gave Chris Lee an F. Mm-hmm. As the absolute worst, I thought giving round two to Adesanya was probably the worst score of the entire night. It might be. He didn't give Dariusha 10-8, and, you know, Chris Lee is one of these judges that's more willing to give 10-8s. Yes, he is. We've so, seen it time and time again, so I don't know what he was looking for that he doesn't usually see. Yeah, we only saw six of 11 rounds the same. Same here. Yeah, he was flat out poor in round two. At least round five of Adesanya was close to me, uh, but mixing up. The two rounds in Oliveira Griffin, it doesn't make sense even if you got the right winner and, and no 10-8 for the Darius fight. Yeah, that's an F for me. I gave him I gave him an F. I also gave Fs to Sal Diamato, uh, who gave the incorrect decision to both Adesanya and Griffin. Yeah, I gave Diamato a D, only because he was on a fight which uh, had a finish. Ah, no. So I, it didn't weigh as much. No, for me, it if you got two fights incorrectly scored for the wrong fighter, that's an F. You, you can't... You can't blow two out of 11 fights. doesn't I, make sense. Yeah, I just didn't think he was worse than Lee. Uh, not worse. Same. <laughs> they both got an F. Tony okay. Weeks, too. He gets an F. He got Chikadze Emmers wrong. He, come on, really? And then he dropped the ball with Mearshart, too. Mearshart didn't win round one. That's not a good night for Tony Weeks. These are three good judges. They had a bad night. It is what it is. Who would have ever thought in Nevada that Chris Lee, Sal Diamato, and Tony Weeks would be worse judges than Adelaide Bird? Well, 
this is kind of a default thing here because Adelaide Bird did not have to score a round in either of her two assignments. They both ended round one. We were spared the mess that could have come for her card. So Great job, matter. Adelaide. Now, even though we disagreed with a lot of the judging, I, for one, was very happy to have Nevada back in charge. Uh, Virginia and Texas and, and even uh, New Mexico in February, they just were not very good commissions. Virginia was somehow way worse than Texas, as we've talked about before. Uh, but Nevada, you know, they staffed a full slate of judges. Nobody had to be overworked, and they got the best judges, some of the best judges in the whole world. That's all you can really ask for on any given night. I, I was happy with Nevada. Yeah, anytime it's in Nevada, you feel, you know, somewhat good going into the card where nothing's going to be too egregious. And that wraps it up for UFC 248, but that wasn't the only judging-related topic we have from this past weekend. Friday night, we had open scoring, something that people started calling for, especially after John Jones outpointed Dominic Reyes last month, where we saw more calls for it. Max Holloway, in particular, was very vocal on social media in support of it. So the Kansas Athletic Commission and Invicta FC, the all-female promotion, utilized open scoring this weekend for their Phoenix Series 3 event, mostly featuring a tournament with one-round fights, but there were three fights that went three rounds or more, one being a five-round title fight for the Bantamweight title. Holloway even flew in from Hawaii to support this. Dan, what did you think of the idea of open scoring before all this kind of talk came about? I would be for it if it's done right and the right provisions are put in place, like the referee, there's no warning for a stall. It's automatic. You get a point taken if you're the fighter that's winning. Right, right. So you you want to see more things put in than just say, here, let's try it? Right. Okay. Obviously, this is very much experimental, and, and it was on a smaller scale. Invicta is not the biggest promotion. They're notable, but they're not a very large one. But here's how they implemented it for those at home who maybe didn't watch or weren't even aware. The commission had an official that stood by each corner between rounds, holding a tablet. After 30 seconds, they had the scores input in from a Google Doc, and they would show these scores to the corners with the red and the blue judges numbered 1, 2, and 3 with no names. This was according to ESPN, by the way. They, they reported a lot of this. Uh, they had an insurance policy in place with written scores being relayed just in case technology fails, as we all know. So what they could do is they could see the cumulative real-time scores from the judges. It was up to the corners to pass this information on to each fighter. So this wasn't shown directly to the fighters, but it was shown to through the cage to the coach who's facing the fighter who's sitting with their back to the cage. This allowed the corners to take control of whether their fighter should know where they stood in the fight or not. Uh, but the scores also were shown on TV, but not in the arena. Dan, you got to check it out. What did you think? I saw a couple fights with it. I don't like the way they did it. Why? I thought there would be a more drama aspect to it as someone watching the fight. Okay. I'd like them to announce to the crowd, get a crowd reaction of what's going on, and go from there. I don't like the idea that it's up to the corner to relay the information if he wants it or doesn't want it. I'd kind of like to see the crowd boo a bad score and the judge be like put on the spot. <laughs> but see, they don't name the judges. It's just numbers one, two, and three, so they don't know who is doing it. And I think it would get a little too complicated if you started having to put their names on it. And again, you'd probably start to get some some more uh, abusive behavior thrown their way. Do we really want to divert their attention more than they already are most of this time? <laughs> I just wanted to, to grab to get their attention. No, I mean, so, I understand that. But I'll tell you this. I actually thought it worked very smoothly. There really weren't a whole lot of complaints from the people 
in the arena, including the fighters and observers. Max Holloway, again, he was there. He thought it was great. Uh, there were no noticeable glitches. Kansas really did a great job. And, and Jimmy Smith and Megan Anderson, who were on the commentary, they were giddy about seeing the scores between rounds. So that was interesting to see, especially from Anderson, who's a fighter. She was very into it as well. None of the fights were really too close, especially the first two. So you didn't really, even despite that, you didn't see fighters really coasting in the in the final round of either of the fights. The title fight, Lisa Versosa, who was clearly down on the cards, she started pressing in round five when she was down to Yulia Stolyarenko. That kind of urgency was something that, hey, maybe she does that if she doesn't have open scoring. Maybe she doesn't. I don't know. But now she has a chance to say, okay, I'm taking ownership of my situation. I'm going to try and press for the finish. Now, she didn't get it. She lost the decision. But she did win the round, and that was that was clutch for her to, to be able to put that strategy into place. I, I appreciated that. Yeah, it was a fun fight, too. It was a fun fight, and Super bloody, bloody as heck. Super oh, my bloody. goodness. At one, at one point, Jimmy Smith was saying that Anderson was starting to gag, and she put up a piece <laughs> of paper to protect her face from and her dress from the blood. <laughs> that was being spattered all over the place. This, this really was one of the bloodiest fights I can remember. Men or women, it doesn't matter. Blood's blood. But what I also liked is that if you're watching this fight and they didn't even mention open scoring, you really wouldn't have known it was there, which is a good thing because it doesn't take away from other parts of the fight. And it didn't really turn these fights into something where someone was running away. Wow. Soliranko wasn't really running away. She was she was certainly a little more defensive, I would say, than she was. But part of that was just the fact that she was being backed up by Versosa, who felt the urgency there. Now, I would love to see more of this, honestly. they got to keep piloting it. I think you continue to do it on the lower levels before you move up there. Uh, Holloway was saying the same thing to ESPN. But I hope they do consider some of the things you were saying about taking points if anybody's showing too much timidity and and really being aggressive with that. You don't want them to just give warnings because this is something that will get abused. But I liked it. I was thrilled. I think it was great. It's a great thing for the sport. Let's keep trying to figure out better ways to make these fights more what they should be. I'll have to see more before I I form a a solid opinion on it. Same here, but early, early returns, I'm impressed. And now it's about that time for Past Judgment, the segment in which we look further back than the latest card and apply our own Couchside Judges scoring system to it. This week, we're revisiting one of 2017's toughest fights to score, Damian Maia vs. Jorge Masvidal. It's one of those fights that can be hotly debated due to the fact that one fighter clearly wins the striking phase and the other dominates the grappling. The Couchside judges love examining difficult-to-score fights like this one, which went down as a split decision. Scott will remind you guys of the CSJ criteria we use. It's basically the same as the ABC's 10-point must system with a few key changes. We dropped aggressiveness and area control as tiebreakers when effective striking and grappling are even, allowing for more frequent 10-10 rounds. A 10-9 round is one in which a fighter had a slight but noticeable advantage. A 10-8 is for a round clearly and easily won by one of the fighters, and a 10-7 is a dominant round that you might think of as a 10-8 round by the current ABC standard. All this allows for more diverse round scores without blowing up the entire 10-point must system. Scott, set the stage for Maya vs. Masvidal. So this one happened at UFC 211. It was May 13, 2017 in Dallas with one of our favorite commissions, Texas. This was a main card fight before Stipe Miocic versus Junior Dos Santos, their rematch, and Joanna when she faced Jessica Andrade in one of her title fights. At the time, it was billed as a title eliminator to challenge Tyron Woodley for the welterweight crown. Maya, at this point, had won six straight, three of his last four by rear naked choke. Impressive. Including 
the last over Carlos Condit, the former interim champion. And Masvidal had won three straight at this point with back-to-back TKOs of Cowboy Cerrone and Jake Ellenberger. Maya was number three in the welterweight contender rankings at this point, the official UFC ones, and Masvidal was number five. Masvidal was actually the slight betting favorite at minus 130 at the time. Judges, Sal Amato, Aladdin Martinez, and Jeff Mullen. The referee, my ideal Texas ref, Kerry Hadley. <laughs> so about round one, set it up for me. Yeah, so round one was a lot of Maya working for a takedown. Yeah. And finally securing it. Yes, he did. He was, he was good at chaining, just like he usually does. I love his takedown style. It's so much fun. I like that one. I don't like when he dives head first and completely whiffs, because then he just it just looks <laughs> like he hit the wrong button in the UFC video game. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> but so yeah, he, by, but 90 seconds in, though, Maya's already got the back. And yeah. a standing body triangle. And he's trying to secure a choke, but he's not really that close. He's really not. I mean, he's trying. He's certainly trying, but he's doing a lot more patient setup. Someone uh, like him. Some pitter-patter I, shots. Yeah, pitter-patter shots. A uh, little harder than pitter-patter sometimes, but not not too much harder. But yes, it was mostly trying to fish for that choke. He's a patient man. He's a jujitsu master. He knows he can get it eventually if he's patient. Sometimes that's to a fault, but in this pace, he he had the back for three three whole minutes. Props to Masvidal for not being choked. Where and lot standing of up guys. the whole time. Right. Yeah, it's pretty tiring. It's tiring on both guys. It is. Uh, but what about twenty to thirty seconds left? Masvidal's able to shake him off and starts throwing bombs. Yes. And these are landing. Oh, hard, hard lefts, just pummeling him these, for the last twenty seconds or so. Yes. Yeah, these were heavy shots. If he had another minute or so, maybe he finishes or at least wins that round in my eyes. I think he only needed probably an extra 10 seconds to take that round away. And I'm not going to get mad if anybody would have actually given that round to him because it really was that close when he started to storm back. This It was kind of just, which one do you value more? This was really a case of two types of damage being done, damage or, or effective grappling here. So how I see it is back controls the most dominant position in all of MMA. Yeah. And I believe it should be scored as such. I think so too. The only thing I could say for anyone who was pro Masvidal here is that he really didn't actually get close enough to a choke attempt and that it was totally grappling domination in the sense of control, which is which counts for the scoring criteria. That's that's effective grappling. But I can see the argument there. I did go Maya 10-9. It certainly wasn't close enough for a 10-8 by the CSJ criteria, even though he had the back for three minutes. Uh, right. But it was really close. For the record, the judges at the time, only Sal Diamato gave it to Maya. Martinez and Mullen, they both saw it for Masvidal. So at this point, Masvidal is actually winning the fight, whether yeah, I mean, we thought he, or not. He ended really strong. He really did. And, and I think that left a big impression on the judges. So hard to fault them. Round two, Maya's you know, a bit tired. He's shooting for takedowns from 30 feet away like Steph Curry. Oh, God, it was terrible. And Masvidal is easily stuffing him. Yeah. You know, Masvidal is hitting some strikes. But if you listen with the commentary, these strikes are not as effective as DC and Joe Rogan are making them seem. They did oversell it, and, and as they sometimes do. Uh, but he, the, I did like the low kicks he was landing. These were good. They were good leg kicks, and when you want to slow down Maya's ability to take you down, that was smart. Right. I thought the best strike was the knee in that little uh, scramble situation they yes. had, followed by an elbow, I believe. But by the midway point, Maya finally winds up on top as Masvidal's kind of fishing for that anaconda choke that wasn't really materializing. Yeah, that was just a, let me try to gather my thoughts or something. I'm just going to grab something here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had, it's not that he had nothing, but it wasn't, they didn't even get graded as an official 
uh, submission attempt by the UFC stats. But this is where, again, Maya's grappling takes over. Even though he's got this cut on his, what was it, his forehead? Right. Yeah, it was on his forehead. He gets, he starts to try and work to take the back again. Yeah, he gets like three-quarter back control. You know, he doesn't quite have two hooks, and he has one like across the stomach. If you're familiar with jiu-jitsu, it's like similar to like an S mount when the guy's on his side type deal. Yeah. Not a totally dominant position, but, you know, I thought it was a close round, and I, I scored the grappling more effective than the striking. To add into Maya's grappling there, uh, he he was landing shots over the final minute. They weren't big shots, but he was he was hitting Maya, or Maya was hitting Masvidal, excuse me. They're scoring. That's scoring. It's effective. It's not being defended against. I don't know if that striking on its own outweighs what Masvidal was doing, but when you compound with the grappling, it was tough. I did go Masvidal, though. I was really close here. You can almost give a 10-10 in our scoring, but I, I actually went Masvidal. Yeah, and I went Maya. That's fine. Well, I guess if you meet in the middle, we're ended up at a 10-10. Yeah, that is not how it went. The judges that night, Sal Amato and Martinez both had it for Masvidal, and Jeff Mullen ended up giving that one to Maya. So at this point, the fight is even on D'Amato and Mullen's cards, whereas for Martinez, Masvidal's up 2 nothing. So really, it, it's a tie fight at this point by those judges. Round three, again, you know, Masvidal's landing the better strikes, but they're not as effective as we're being told they are. Yeah, another tale of two rounds for sure. Right, so, and, you know, Masvidal throws a kick, Maya catches it, pushes him pretty much across the ring. Yeah, it was it was almost like a single leg takedown off of the off of the kick. Right, yeah. Masvidal, not, not quite, but yeah. Yeah, he falls awkwardly face first, struggles to get up before Maya's on his back. Yep. And that's where he takes over again and and this for me, this was the most dominant round grappling wise for Maya. I think it was the easiest to see. For sure, he got the body triangle right away. You saw Masvidal was trying to turn out of the body triangle again like he kind of was able to do at the end of round 1. It wasn't working this time. He almost was able to get flattened out, but not quite. It just didn't happen that way. Maya's going for a rear naked attempt, but he just doesn't have the control in this round to make that happen. That's when he ends up with the body triangle. After that, that was where he really set it up. Okay. Yeah. I. I that's how I saw it. Now Maya, I, again, definite round for him. So for me, yeah. I ended up with uh, 29-28 for Maya. Same exact score as Sal Diamato. I scored a that final round at 10-8 for you Maya. did? Oh, okay. So because it was I a clear round in your a, mind? It was a clear round. There was no debating it, I thought. I understand you go in 10-8. I do. I wouldn't have, though. It was just too close, I yeah. think. So he's 30-26 on my card. Okay. But it doesn't reflect what the fight was. No, it doesn't. That, that's the funny thing here. This, this fight, you know, if anybody wanted to call it a draw just from pride rules, fine. That would make sense. That's it for this week's past judgment. Coming up this weekend, we get to see Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira at UFC Brasilia. That's the main event, and the co-main, of course, is Damian Maia going against Gilbert Burns. Kevin Lee's coming off a big knockout win over undefeated Gregor Gillespie. Yeah, that was awesome. Head kick. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. I love that. <laughs> uh, but also, Oliveira's on a six-fight win streak, and he's looked really good as of late. Yeah, all of those wins were by TKO, KO, or sub. Yeah, so it's a really solid matchup. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that one plays out. Me too. Uh, it's about time Oliveira gets another chance at the top 10 lightweights. He's been in the game a long time, but he also came into the UFC at a very young age. He was 20. I was at his debut in San Diego when he got a, I think it was like a 33-second uh, tap out against Darren Elkins. Both these guys are still around, by the way. Wow. So impressive that 10 years going, we've, we've still got both of these men in the UFC consistently. Uh, but I'm excited. I 
I actually have Oliveira in an upset here on home soil. Wow. Yeah. Could be. I'm favoring Lee. Okay. It's, it's a good one. It'll be a good one. Uh, what about Maya and Burns? You must love this that one. That is going to be excellent. Yes. Uh, it's I Awesome just, grapplers. If this is a stand-up fight, I'm going to be so disappointed. It might be, dude. Just prep for oh, it. Like These two really good grapplers, they should grapple. But I actually think Burns has some pretty solid stand-up here, so I would understand why he wouldn't necessarily uh, uh, want to Yeah, I guess. That. I guess. He's more well-rounded than Maya is. And Maya has rounded out his game more, but it's... You know, he's just, not going to win a power striking battle. They should just give me what I want. <laughs> they should, I, I hope I hope it ends up being on the mat most of the time, too. And I could see Burns being totally comfortable down there. He is the favorite in this fight pretty solidly, too. He is a world champ in uh, BJJ. Yes, yes. And he's not over 40 like Demi and Maya. But Maya, of course, can never be counted out. The man he's is a strangle ace. machine. He is, he is. Are you looking forward to any other fights? For me, yeah. I want to see Johnny Walker against Nikita Krylov. That that's fire. Both oh. these guys are finishers. Two hundred five pounds. These guys don't play. I think if we get more than seven minutes out of this fight, I would be stunned. Krylov has a lot of fights and has only been to a decision one time. Oh yeah, in his last fight. That's pretty. That that's astonishing, actually. The man formerly known as Al Capone for whatever reason, and now <laughs> is the minor. How do you think Walker bounces back from his loss? I think he'll be fine. But I do think he's going to lose. I think Krilov is going to be able to get it to the mat. And I think he's going to get him with a choke. So, Scott, we're going to Brazil. Tell me what kind of judges should we expect on this card? Yeah, so the Comissario Atletica Brasileira de MMA, or CAB MMA, runs things in Brazil, right? Brazil had three fights last year, actually. They're pretty experienced. They get good judges down there from America, like Sal, Diamato, and Chris Lee. They could be in town. I don't know, but we might end up seeing them. Guilherme Bravo is actually a very reputable veteran judge in Brazil. We might see him as well. I would be surprised, actually, if we didn't. And one thing I learned about Bravo recently is he actually wrote a book about judging in the sport of MMA called In the Hands of the Judges, A Cage-Side Perspective on MMA. may have to grab that. I think I might. It's only $3 on Amazon. He's not paying me to do this. I just think it's cool. Um, I want to check it out. The only other MMA judging book that I've ever seen is Glenn Trowbridge about six years ago put out a book. It's old now, so I probably would only look at it as a curiosity, although it could be more philosophical. We'll see. I think it's only 80 pages, that one, so it wouldn't take that long yeah, to get quick through. reading. Quick reading. Get through it easy. So that's going to do it for another episode of the Couchside Judges. Join us next week when we break down the judging from UFC Brasilia. We'll also have another edition of Past Judgment and look ahead to UFC London, where Tyron Woodley will take on Leon Edwards in a major welterweight showdown. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Couchside Judges. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And myself on Twitter and Instagram at DanUrbanMMA. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Have a good one, guys. Thank you.